Welcome to Francophiles. I'm your host, Tracy Madigan, and this is the final episode of season three. And we're ending this season on a high note. And here they come the Crew 2 astronauts taking their first steps outside before their journey to space. ONC departure on schedule. You're Shane Kimbrough. Everything we're doing up in space is to benefit humanity or benefit human exploration. Pilot Megan MacArthur in the front, Megan blowing kisses. We are natural explorers. We want to explore our environment. Whatever small area we start in, we always want to push the boundaries. Toma and Aki. The great thing about space travel is the perspective that it gives you feel a sense of pride getting up there. Again, SpaceX, go for launch. Three, two, one, zero. Mission. We're bringing you an interview with one of the most popular people in France's science circles today. Astronaut Thomas Pesquet was recently in the United States. He was with a very special team of fellow astronauts, Crew 2, Shane Kimbrough, Megan MacArthur, and Aki Oshide. They landed back on Earth at the end of 2021. They had spent 198 days on the International Space Station. The first views of Crew Dragon. Look at that tail. Four astronauts have returned to Earth from aboard NASA's SpaceX Crew 2 capsule. Well, there it is, the moment last night when astronauts from the US, France, and Japan splashed down safely. Endeavor, on behalf of SpaceX, welcome home to planet Earth. They spent 200 days in space aboard the International Space Station. It's the second of at least four planned missions involving NASA crews and SpaceX. This interview isn't the slightest bit wonky. It's filled with honest stories, laughs about the pranks they pulled while living on the ISS, and of course, the fact that Tama, of the four of them, has somehow reached superstar status. You'll hear just how scientists can definitely bring their personalities into some very important work. As you sit around the table with us, you'll hear the bond they have, and you'll get an idea of how valuable it is to come from such faraway places and how important it is to have each other's backs. We start off by having them introduce themselves so we can associate the voices with the names. Hello, I'm Shane Kimbrough. I was a commander on SpaceX Crew 2 and a flight engineer on Expedition 65. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Megan MacArthur. I was the pilot on SpaceX Crew 2 and a flight engineer on Expedition 65, and I'm from California. Hi, I'm Aki Hoshide from uh, JAXA, JAXA astronaut, and uh, I'm from Tokyo, and I was the ISS commander for Expedition 65. Toma Pesquet is a mission specialist on Crew 2, flight engineer, Expedition 65, commander, Expedition 66, and I'm originally from France. We said that you've got the band back together. What You have spent such intense moments together as a group. What's it like when you see each other here on Earth? It's sort of an immediate return to family. It's like seeing your family after a long period of time. These are people that we spent every day, every moment together for 200 days and then of course all of the training that occurs before that. So like you said, a lot of intense moments. These are people I know that I could call at any time to help me do anything. Um, and it's, so it's wonderful to actually get back together and be able to spend time in the same place. It makes me think of the links that people talk about with military when you're on a military mission with someone. Is it similar? Uh, very similar, yeah. I mean, we have a support structure for the families that are not with us, which is one similarity there. 
and just the bonds that we create going through unique experiences, right, is pretty, is very special, honestly. And Megan mentioned the training side of it. We were, I think, fortunate, believe it or not, because of the COVID situation that we were able to travel together and stay together in a, in a house um, through our training versus going to a hotel where you don't see each other. And so um, another way for us to really bond before the flight and, and we just strengthen those bonds on orbit. You have to really like each other. <laughs> well, you can imagine it would be a lot less pleasant if we didn't. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. What were some of the tasks that you had to get done during your mission? Certainly. You know, on orbit, uh, on the International Space Station, we did a, tons and tons of uh, science. But on top of that, we had spacewalks. We had visiting vehicles coming and going. Uh, we had to unpack those visiting vehicles and pack it back. There were some off nominal situations that we had to cope with uh, sometimes. And, uh, you know, it was great to uh, work that with these guys because everyone was so talented and very uh, professional. And uh, with the help of from the uh, ground team, uh, we managed to solve any uh, off nominal situation. So now that you're back on Earth, are there moments where you look back at what you did, the fact that you were up there? It's so mind-blowing. Does that ever hit you in weird moments here back on Earth? It, it feels unreal sometimes. I mean, you readapt to life on Earth so quickly, and after three days, you're in a traffic jam driving your car, and, and you're like, what's happening to me? Why is I really out there? Did that really happen? And you look at the pictures. Sometimes I have a hard time like picturing myself on the space station. It feels like it's something you've dreamt, or it's something from another life, but it's so different. I mean, the, everything is different. The food is different. The clothes are different. The environment, the way to move is different. So I I think your brain doesn't entirely compute what's happening to you when you're in space. And then when you go back, it's it's hard for me to kind of look back and picture myself. So thank God we have pictures and videos and things like that, because otherwise I, I couldn't even be sure that I actually went. <laughs> I saw your video, by the way, the longer video you did giving people a tour through the space station, and you really did get a feeling that you were actually there. Filmed by Shane, by the way. Oh, Shane was the producer. I was remarking how effective the filmmaking. It was very smooth. It was, yeah. That's it was, not it was easy. A, That's not easy to do. Floating yes. backwards, you know, framing your yeah, shot it was very smooth. I had the easy part. And it was it was no edits, am I right? It one was, take. Yeah, yeah one the take. whole thing was one take. It was very, very impressive. I recommend that everybody go check it out. So were there any things that you had trained all these years, you were you knew what you were ready for? Was there anything you simply weren't ready for? I think no is my first answer. We spend so much time training and we do we train differently than we do for a short duration mission. You train very specifically the tasks, every single task that you're going to do. And for space station you have to kind of rely on skills and so we do a more skills based training rather than training for a specific task. And the team has a lot of years preparing different astronauts to go into this environment, astronauts from all different backgrounds. And so they do a really, really good job of that. Our instructors are, are really the best in the world. And so I felt very well prepared for everything that you can prepare for. Um, what you really cannot learn until you get into space is how to move in space. And even though I'd been in space before, the space shuttle is quite a lot smaller than the space station. And so you get there and it, you really are like a baby bird for a little while till you, till you figure out, you know, just flailing your limbs is not actually going to work. Um, and figuring out how to move efficiently and not how to crash into things and people. So that is something you just have to learn when you get there. But you're kind of expecting that, to, to be honest, so you know that it's going to take a little while. Does it look as funny as it sounds? Are you laughing at each other? Of course. Yeah. We're always <laughs> laughing at each other. Are we very graceful to each other? No, not really. 
Tonight, Taman, I've been known to set a trap or two for people who don't fly very well. <laughs> Not on this mission. Not on this mission. What kind of trap can you? What can? What does that mean? What can you do? Well, you can deploy a few contraptions like riding the way, but that's not. Um, but you know, that's for example, when you turn a corner, you always grab the same handrail, and that's what's going to give you that that rotation into that direction that you're going into. And people get get used to it. You don't even look anymore. You just grab. So if you remove that handrail, <laughs> it's going to be a big problem. Like people would grasp thin air and then float right straight away and hit something and crash into something. And Shane was the one at this. Oh, right? Shane is the worst. I'm all business up there. Now, when you do things like that, is it because you're passing time? Is it because you need something to kind of break the monotony? Can you explain why the heck Shane would do that? Yeah, no, I know why. I don't know. I still don't know. No, I think I think it's uh, everybody's good spirits. They, they, I've been asked several times, is there some hazing on the space station? There's no such thing. I mean, everybody's so nice, but you know, once in a while, yeah, you have to break the monotony. We've we've had a few episodes. We did the Olympic Games. We did a few. There was a few occasions when we wanted to do something different, be creative. I don't think astronauts are the most creative individuals more often than not but then sometimes you know you have an idea you want to try it out it's a once in a lifetime experience it's such a different environment you have to you know you work a lot but you're also living there it's also your house it's also your backyard it's everything you're gonna have for six months so you know once in a while on the weekend then people get creative six months is a long time tell us a little bit about the communication there you are all from different countries different cultures and this is a podcast about two countries and their links, and yet the International Space Station is an example of so many different everything, training, language. What were some of the differences that you noticed? So, you know, on board the International Space Station, English is the common language, but uh, if you go to the Russian segment, then uh, you, they're talking to their mission control in Russian. Uh, sometimes I was talking to our uh, control center in Scuba in Japanese, and Tomah did the same with uh, the control center in Cologne if needed, but uh, overall we try to uh, communicate in English and the, the ground controllers do the same. I noticed when you were, you were giving the tour that you talked about how the Japanese section of the tour was neater and it was well, it was well organized. There's, there's, <laughs> it depends on who's, uh, yeah, who's, depends on who's running it. Because uh, you know, Tomat did a good job uh, cleaning up the Columbus module. No, this, it's interesting. There's some cultural differences. I don't want to say stereotypes, but then sometimes you, you and that's what's great about international cooperation because you learn to know each other. You learn to take the best from every everyone's culture. So you, you learn a lot, you become, and I think by looking at what other countries, what all the cultures do, it kind of makes you take a step back on your own culture and then stuff that you take for granted and suddenly you start questioning it. Um, one big eye opener, which to me is the French language as well, which is horribly complicated. Not to me, because you know I've been speaking it forever, but when, when you talk to people, it's like, why? Why is it that way? It doesn't make sense. I'm like, you're right. It actually doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's, it's this weird mix of international, so you're bringing together all these talents from different countries, etc. But there is a uniformity when it comes to the language, when it comes to procedure, etc. Were there any moments during your miss mission where you just, you weren't expecting to see something from another culture? In other words, what was the most French thing that you saw Thomas do during... 
during this whole thing? Um, well, I think the most French thing that we saw tomorrow, I think this is the Gallic shrug, you know, the, the, we can't really, you know, if you're American, you can't really do it properly, but this is something that we would see from tomorrow on a, on a regular basis. And it has so many, you learn over time, it has so many layers of meaning, you know, in the U.S., if you put palms up and you shrug your shoulders, it sort of means, I don't know. Um, but with, with Tama, it could really, it could mean a whole host of things. It could mean, why are you asking me that? Clearly, that's not my fault. It could, <laughs> How much time do we have? No. No. Um, no. I mean, one night, we had, we had a French dinner one night, and, and Tama dressed all of us in French gear. And of course, he had his beret on, and that was very French. But the rest of us had sweatshirts or t-shirts on that said France, and we just saw it. I think it was Bastille Day, maybe. It was way too French. We don't do that in France. It's way too French for us. Did you notice a difference in attitudes on, in a daily life routine, following protocol, etc.? Was there a uniqueness in different cultures? I think like, like you said, we're, we're pretty, I don't want to say standard, but we're, we've been to the same school of thought, right? We're following procedures. We're, we're trying to keep our composure all the time, trying to you know, be patient, try to communicate well. Um, and the differences, I, I'm not sure they're as cultural as they're individual. Like some people have a more you know, direct approach. Some people are more patient. Megan has a really nice, calming, soothing voice <laughs> that if you hear in the space station, it's not a good day. Extra calm means Extra calm means the storm is coming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having said that, that we... Um, I had the good fortune, like I mentioned earlier, of, of training so much together and knowing each other that you could tell just by yeah. voice the tone of or the, the voice. tone yeah. that, okay, uh, I might need to go help them or, mm -hmm. hey, they you know seem a little tired or something. So it's good because we then can help each other kind of without even talking, right? We just, we, we hear these cues and yeah. you, you kind of just react to it and it's amazing. And I can it really helped all a, of us out. There's so. a couple of times I was, I was trying to, Tell Mission Control that I have already done that two or three times, and then suddenly Shane materializes out of nowhere. Or like he's like, "Do you need a hand? Is, every, is everything all right?" I'm like, "Yes, it's perfectly fine." It's not what you said; it's how you said. The best cue you hear. You're in a different module. You hear it on the space ground. Like hmm, something's going on. Very much uh, individual, knowing each other as individuals rather than having different cultures. I think what we discover is that we, we have this common goal, right? We have this shared vision. And then we also just over time, you know, you talk to each other, you talk about your upbringing, you have a, lo a lot of time that you're spending together. So we, you know, tell stories around the dinner table and, and we find out that we have so much in common, even though we come from different countries, from different cultures, there is so much still that we have um, that we share. So that's a pretty special part of it as well. There you are, you're scientists, you're experts, you've, again, been training for this for so many years. And then all of a sudden, you become influencers. Everybody down on earth is listening to what you're saying and the, your tweets and your videos and you're talking with presidents and soccer players and the whole bit. What is that like when, to become a connection to outer space that everybody's watching? I think it's, it's uh, so I'm not sure everybody's watching, but there's, there's, a, there's a certain amount of people who are interested in space exploration in general. And I think space is a, such a huge potential, you know, to inspire people, make them dream and, you know, kind of embody a goal for them in life. So that's what's beautiful about space. Um, I think it gives you a, a responsibility in a way to, to pass on the right messages. And there's some amount that's, you know, 
an agency message because you know ESA, JAXA, NASA, we stand for space exploration, science, etc. And then also you get a chance to, you know, get your own messages in and kind of pepper them in and and it's great, but it gives you the I think an added responsibility in being careful in what you're saying and how you're saying it. Were you surprised by the influence that you had? I was surprised. I had never done social media before the mission, and I felt like it was important to do during the mission. And I was surprised at how meaningful it was for me to have responses and to realize that people were really connecting, that it was meaningful for them. And it was a valuable resource for me, you know, to feel that connection with Earth. And I hadn't expected that to be, that two-way connection to be as valuable as it was in our, in our isolated environment. But I really appreciated it. I appreciated people reaching back out to us. And there's some people you hear from regularly, you know, they would respond to almost to every post and so that was that was kind of fun as well. Did you feel like ambassadors for your country when you were up there? I would say personally no, I felt like ambassadors to, to the world, right? Uh, it was bigger than our country. It was bigger than NASA or ESA or JAXA. It was um, very humbling, uh, but a huge responsibility, I think, that we had to the world. Speaking of humbling, are there moments where you just, when you were up there, were there any breathtaking moments that you can remember where you were kind of pinching yourself? I think on board the space station, you're looking out the window, you're looking out Earth, and you're looking out birds, and uh, you, you feel small. Like, the International Space Station itself is huge, but still, you look down at Earth, and you, you're, I felt like I was being kind of supplied everything, all the energy from Earth. You know, people uh, helping us out, all the supplies come from Earth, and you're like, you're living there, but you're, you're, you're being supplied with uh, all the energy and supplies from Earth. There was a time I've, I remember, I was trying to, so the cupola is looking down, that's our panoramic window to some extent with the space station. You usually go head down, and then your head is in a cupola, your lower body is still in the, in the space station. Um, so you get a, you see the Earth, you see the space station, there's a lot of structure that you get in your field of view. So I was trying to kind of get my entire body inside of the cupola and then my head so close to the window that I couldn't see the cupola anymore and I couldn't see any structure and just just space or just the Earth. That's not easy to do. I probably left a few marks with my nose or my forehead on the, on the windows. But that was a nice that was a nice experience because if you do it at night, it's very quiet. Nobody's there. There's no sound, and you just float above the earth, and you kind of almost forget that you're in a that you're in a spacecraft. So it's a nice experience. That sounds like the place that you would say to the rest of the crew member, "You got to come and see this." During the auroras, that was uh, one of our uh, regular activities. I still remember Megan that first day. Not the first day of the mission, the first time we saw an aurora, she went to the cupola. She was like, oh, we, could, we can probably see auroras. And we were like, yeah, well, all right, probably not. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously she goes to the cupola. She's like, aurora, aurora, aurora. In the space station, everybody gathered. Um, and that was such a special moment. And, and you know, telling everybody, yelling for everybody to come view. I, I, I'm a team player, by the way. And so we didn't have enough sleep stations on the space station. So I, I had to sleep in the crew dragon. Yeah. That had two terrible windows, you know, windows to look out forward. of all the time, and so didn't there was have any windows. Just FYI, yeah, there were some special moments that I'd just be yelling, and they would come down, and usually Megan would be like kind of just floating upside down and look, oh my gosh, you know, just really special. Just the the night sky, even or auroras, or you know, just fantastic views out of there. So those are I some. Probably moments. don't get used to it. Oh, it's never, never. Now that we're talking about the Artemis missions and the idea that um, this international collaboration will continue. Let's talk about the important stuff, Mars versus the moon. 
What should what should we know? <laughs> what should we know? I think I think the I think Mars. First of all, it's it's sometimes I, I try to put things in perspective. The, the Moon is a, like we were saying before, it's a thousand times more distant than lower orbit, and Mars is roughly give or take another thousand times more distant. So just the perspective is unbelievable, and I don't think there's a way we can go to Mars without having had a successful experience on the moon without testing our technologies, without being able to be on the moon. And I compared to aviation at the beginning, you cannot, you know that the, the, the end game, right, is to cross the Atlantic. That's what aviation is good for ultimately. Uh, but if you cannot cross, you know, the English Channel, if you cannot cross the Mediterranean, how can you cross the, the Atlantic? There's just no way. So you have to prove yourself. And there's a lot of scientific benefits with going back to the moon, but ultimately it's going to enable us to go to Mars. It's, this is the proving grounds for our technology, for our operations, and only after we do this successfully can we go to Mars. Describe to us why it's important to have the international collaboration. Is it because it's the best of the best around the world? And you're going to be too humble to say yes to that. No, 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 we'll say yes, we'll say yes. <laughs> what is it about the international collaboration that makes missions possible? No nation these days can do it alone. I mean, that, that, to me, that's the bottom line. So the U.S., we need other people's help and other people need our help. And, and we've proven that on the space station in low Earth orbit. And we're going to use those, you know, pretty much those same techniques, international cooperation and common goals to uh, accomplish what we want to on the moon and eventually to Mars. We need each other. And we need private industry as well. It's not um, on, on all sides, not just the U.S. So we need private industry. We need international partners um, to make this all happen. I think that's uh, one thing that we learned through the International Space Station program, right? So we did a lot of uh, science, not just that. We've been working together for the past 20-plus years. And uh, we, we know this framework works. And we've been helping each other out. And uh, so, you know, why not use that for the next step? And I think that the when we when we set these big goals that everybody wants to partake in, that um, that relationship that is necessary to build in order to do these really complicated things together, it builds trust, right? It builds friendship, it builds camaraderie, like what we have here, um, and that enables us to do other things between our nations that are that's very very important. So we have these sort of bright shining goals that we really everybody's in and wants to do this. You know, it's it's, it's inspiring, but then it also enables us to do maybe some of the more difficult things and have the more difficult conversations because we've been able to build the trust between our peoples and hopefully between our governments as well. I want my last question to be about private industry, but I can't, just because you mentioned camaraderie, I can't help but ask the question, what's it like to be hanging out with Tama all the time because he's always getting fangirled and everybody's going nuts over him. No. Well, I carry his sunglasses. Megan carries his briefcase. Aki carries his suitcase. You know, it's just not normal. True. It's normal. It's not true. But I thought it was just a France thing, but you're telling me it's not. No, it is mostly a France thing. Those guys haven't even been in France. You haven't seen it yet. We haven't been invited. That's right. We have not been invited. Isn't it nice to see that astronauts are being respected to a fangirl degree? <laughs> you had no. Yeah, they already have so much ammunition against me. You don't have to. You're not, that's not nice what you're doing. <laughs> oh, it's fun. Let me let me wrap up by asking you about private industry. L let me start by you know you you were talking a little bit about collaboration across nations, collaboration between established organizations and private industry. What 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 do you think the future holds, and what kind of indication does it give us about public interest? 
in what we want to do as a society when it comes to reaching outer. Well, I mean, the last few years, I think, have shown the public interest is way up. And a lot of that's due to private industry. And honestly, with SpaceX on the scene, I mean, I'll tell a story of my, my family. My kids, NASA was never interested in them, but SpaceX did. And they're all in now. So it's, I mean, that's, I think that generation is really into the space game now um, because of private industry. So pretty simple answer from my family's perspective anyway. Is it just accessible? Is no, that it's, it? it's the role of government, right, to push that boundary and to, to explore those frontiers, do the difficult, expensive work because you want people to have more access, right? So just like the American West, right? You're having the government that's pushing out, building the forts, you know, that kind of thing. And then and then the, your average citizen sort of following um, in, in some cases. And so that that's what we want, right? We have these dreams of a spacefaring humanity, right? That where we're, you know, we have all these movies that everybody loves, right? And the, and the TV shows, the Star Wars and the Star Trek. Um, so that's the future that we envision. And in order to get there, you have the government that's, you know, doing that initial pushing of the frontier and then the, the private industry and the private citizens that are, that are coming along as well. And there's still a significant investment um, to be done on the part of the of the private industry and, and private individuals, and that's sort of where we're where we're at right now. And so I think it's becoming real for people that hey, I, I don't have to follow this specific career path, but maybe in my lifetime this is a trip that I could take. So I think it's very exciting. Um, change is always hard. There's always some difficult um, roads to f to figure out how exactly do we do this? How do we have you know a government space station and yet have private visitors to that space station? So there's growing pains that are that are very natural that we're sort of in the midst of right. Right now, but I think I'm very excited to see what happens over the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years. Because there's a protocol that's been established that you've all followed that's starting to crack, or at least it has to if you're going to have. Is that a good thing or a bad I think thing? It's a good thing. Like Megan mentioned, you know, it's growing pain. We learn a lot from uh, private uh, astronauts coming on board the International Space Station. But, uh, you know, you look at it and you, you try to improve from it, right? So the next mission will be better. And easier for everyone, and uh, then more and more people can come on board. And I think it's like like we were saying about um, international cooperation. When you when you bring private entities, you know, around the table, everybody's bringing something different, something new that you might not have thought of. Or in in SpaceX's case, I think it's very clear that they want everything to look good, um, which is not usually, I mean, for government organizations or, you know, uh, armed forces, looking good is not the priority number one. Um, but SpaceX has this this goal in mind, which we sometimes resent because the spacesuits are way too tight, <laughs> difficult to get in and out of. Um, but the result is, yeah, people maybe, it, it catches people's eyes a little bit more, you know, that black and white monochromous approach, etc. So that's something that's, you know, they brought to the table. Yeah, we didn't have that before in our arsenal, and now we kind of have. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for allowing the entire next generation to dream beyond what they're already dreaming. Thank you for your Pleasure. time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'd like to hear from you. Let us know what you think of the show and who you'd like to hear us talk to. And please subscribe and rate this podcast. That way, more people will hear about it. Our podcast is produced by me, Tracy Madigan. Our editorial team is Pascal Confavreux, Baudouin Carrard, Pierre Léonard, and Susanna Autier. Our technical team is Nasrin Mirza and Patrick Nazaire. Thank you for listening. Au revoir.